I remember when I started my online relocation company, I used to write the names of the people that I helped on a poster board Mm -hmm. and I would put it on my wall. And then it got to the point where I had to like tape the poster boards together and then I put it in a spreadsheet and that's where it lived after that. It was like, these are the people I've relocated and it was all in a spreadsheet. But I could have never conceived of that. Like it's almost, it's like a thousand people now. Right. Over nine years. Okay. So it's not like I had a thousand people on the first day, like knocking down my door. It it started with one person. His name was Grayson. I still like remember everybody's names (laughs) and then his roommate and then his brother and then his friend. And it's like, Yeah. And that was able to sustain me and and provide a livable income and savings for the past nine years. So it's like, yeah, people can start, can just start where they are. Welcome to Badass Digital Nomads, where we're pushing the boundaries of remote work and travel, all while staying grounded with a little bit of old school philosophy, self-development and business advice from our guests. You may know Matt Ragland as the bullet journal guy. He's a YouTuber, writer, vlogger, productivity expert, and the director of creator success at Podia, an online course platform. And this episode is all about, you guessed it, online courses, and also overcoming procrastination, especially as it relates to starting or developing your online side hustle while stuck at home during these crazy coronavirus times. We cover who should make an online course and discuss is now a good time to do so? Is the online course market saturated? Where should you start if you want to create an online course and how do you pick a topic that people want to learn about? What are the best platforms for online course creators and how is Podia different and cheaper than Udemy, Teachable, Skillshare, and Kajabi? We also discuss, do you need an email list or an audience to sell an online course? And how much money can you realistically make selling online courses anyway? We also talk about YouTube, including some of our own personal struggles and if it's too late to start a YouTube channel or if there's room for everyone. And of course, Matt's forte, productivity and procrastination. How does Matt stay productive working from home with a wife and two kids? How do you balance your full-time job with your side hustle, especially during a pandemic? And most importantly, how do you motivate yourself to work when you don't feel like it? We talk about all of these topics and much more in this lengthy but super valuable interview. And in the lightning round, we discuss what we miss from normal day-to-day life and what we're looking forward to when the quarantine's over, including where we'll travel first. Enjoy, and if you'd like to sign up for my first online course on Podia about how to make money online with the skills you already have, head over to digitalnomadbootcamp.podia.com, and we'll also link to it in the show notes. As usual, you can watch this full interview in video format over at Patreon. You can become a patron for $5 per month at patreon.com slash traveling with Kristen. 
Everyone, welcome to another episode of Badass Digital Nomads. And today is May 1st. It's going to be May, and it is. (laughs) (laughs) It is. It is today. (laughs) So so cheesy. There's so many good date puns in May. It's just not even fair to the rest of the months. I have a friend who looks just like 90s Justin Timberlake, and he always posts it's going to be May on Instagram. (laughs) So I got to go look on there later and see his. But I'm excited for this interview for so many reasons. Like, I mean, you're just such a wealth of information on so many different topics. And I took a poll in my Facebook group and on my Patreon page. Patreon.com slash traveling with Kristen. People support your girl. Um, And people want to know about online courses and getting over procrastination. So we're going to focus on those today. Um, But it's Friday. It's it's May. It's day who even knows of the quarantine. I saw a TikTok that said like January, February, March, March, (laughs) March, March. (laughs) It just kept going and then it cut off. Day 51 for me, which is nuts. What day did you enter the quarantine? Uh, it was that first like full week of March. Or I actually got back from a, uh, I was at a conference the weekend before, which is kind of nuts to think about. Um, and we were kind of like not too close to people. Just my wife and I went. Um, it was like a trip for us too. So we were like, <laughs> we're still going. <laughs> um, and then we were with my parents and then we flew back, which we were very tentative about flying back. Uh, but it was a light flight, very short. And then that next day we went to dinner with friends. That Wednesday we went to CrossFit and then thir- that Thursday. That, so I think that was probably like May or sorry, March, March 10th, 11th, 12th, whatever that like, yeah, the first full week of March, whatever that Thursday was, that's that was day zero, day one, whatever. (laughs) For me, it was probably the same because I remember being at dinner, I think it was March 11th Mm -hmm. with friends and things just happened so fast. It's almost incomprehensible. But we were at this really nice dinner, like a big group of friends, like private room and getting the news on our phones that the Europe, they did like the Europe travel ban. And we were like, oh, weird, you know, and then I never came out of my house again. (laughs) Since then, that was like the beginning of the end. And now, yeah, I guess day 50. Very similar. Yeah, it was March 12th was that Thursday. So yeah, I went to dinner with friends. Very similar. Had a couple of friends in from town. So a bunch of us uh, probably, you know, (laughs) Like 12 people just at dinner. Um, lots of sharing, lots of family style. <laughs> and then like we're all in a text thread afterwards. We're like, oh no, what have we done? <laughs> we're like we were the same joking, thing we've like, been doing is, for years. <laughs> is this yeah, wrong? we were like, this is the last supper. Yeah. By the end, like from when we got to the restaurant until we left a few hours later, it was like the world had ended. And yeah. we felt like we were in quarantine inside of this room. And then we just left yeah. and like never, I never saw them again. It so, yeah, it's wild. Oh, it's so weird. Well, I, we have so much to talk about here before the, um, before the interview, Matt and I were talking because, um, we're both on YouTube. So Matt is the director of creator success at Podia, which is an online course platform. And he's also a YouTuber, a vlogger, writer, a content creator, 
and the bullet journal guy who also worked <laughs> previously at ConvertKit and Noah Kagan's company. Is that correct? AppSumo? Yep. yep. So quite the resume. Um, and both of us are from Florida, it appears, or we both went to school That's in true. Florida. Yep. Is that where you I, are right now? No, I'm in, besides the virtual background, I live, I've been living in Nashville, Tennessee for about seven years now, but I grew up in Florida, Florida boy, uh, Jacksonville, went to University of Florida. And so, yeah, I, but then I moved away in 2009 and haven't, you know, haven't, yeah, moved back since. <laughs> I grew up in St. Augustine. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. I went so to right down the trail. road. Mm-hmm. And now here I am in Miami in my virtual coffee shop that looks like it's in Denmark or something. And you're in what appears to be Casey Neistat's basement. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I tweeted this picture. It is. I tweeted this picture and Casey hearted it. So it's kind of a big deal in internet points. It's amazing. I remember one time I tweeted something about Zed and he hearted it. And I was like, I screenshotted it. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, Zed liked one of my tweets. That's awesome. Oh, it's the little things, you know? Especially these days, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Totally. And on um, Siri always hops in thinking that I'm asking him something. <laughs> My Siri is a man. I'm not talking to him right now. So um, is mine. Yeah. Oh, good. I yeah. have a... It's like a butler. I have British male <laughs> accent. Yeah, I think mine's Australian. You, you know, have the I. same thing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, before, the, um, before we started recording, we were talking about uh, YouTube and some of our different failures, quote unquote, on there. So I want to talk about that later, but also just to like set the scene even more, right before this interview today, this morning, I made an announcement that I was discontinuing my show, Digital Nomad News, which I had on YouTube for a while, mm-hmm. and then I made it into a podcast, and then I discontinued it. And I just started crying out of nowhere. Like I didn't realize how emotional I was going to be when I actually announced that I was going to discontinue it. And actually, we're going to put like a Digital Nomad News minute into oh, nice. Badass Digital Nomads from now way on. To, yeah, that's a good way to work through it. Definitely. Yeah, because I didn't want to like completely abandon it because it's so many interesting stories are coming out every day. But right. um, we'll also add in a topic later to talk about like what even is failure, you know, when you're creating things and when you're trying new things. So um, I know everyone wants to hear about online courses and productivity and procrastination, but then there's nothing better than like hearing about how other people failed and like what they learned from it. And, you know, you kind of have to fail like a hundred times to win once. It seems like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. I think, you know, even on that, even on that note, I think, um, yeah, there's certainly plenty of examples. They get a lot of promotion for perfectly good reasons of people who succeed relatively early. And yeah, I'm all for everyone's success at any stage, but I do think something that's interesting when you have like a viral, some kind of viral success relatively early on is that you can, you can end up being pigeonholed into a topic or a niche that maybe doesn't really resonate with you. And the more reps, you know, the more creative reps that you get early on, whether that's with a YouTube channel, a podcast or a blog, whatever, 
the more you kind of get to like understand and feel your own style out before like the market, you know, the algorithm is like, yes, this is the one. Yeah, I think that people who have viral successes very early on, they probably don't even understand why they went viral at all. And then that can be really overwhelming, especially if you just start putting random stuff out there. And then all of a sudden you have, you know, millions of views and comments and subs. Like I would think that that people could kind of feel a bit lost of what to do next. And then everything after that is technically a failure because unless you go Mm -hmm. viral every time you post something. Right. So it really is about the process and like, what you learn along the way. And I'm always constantly reminded of uh, some saying, I don't know who it's by, but it's something about if you're not embarrassed by who you were a year ago, then you're not mm-hmm. working hard enough or you're not growing enough. Yeah, I want to say that? that I have. I think it's some variation on um, uh, Reed Hoffman, who's the founder of LinkedIn, I think has a similar quote. It might be a play on that where he said, if you're not embarrassed by your first, you know, iteration of the product that you actually like ship, if you're not embarrassed by it, you waited too long. Uh, and so yeah. there are a bunch of different variations on that. And maybe his was a variation of a different guy, <laughs> the same kind of quote in a different context. But yeah, that's one way that it pops up for me. Yeah, because I think if we ever feel ready to do something First of all, we're delusional, probably, because we're not ready, even when we do feel ready. But also, sometimes that moment passes, and like you waited too long. Actually, before I knew you lived in Nashville, I was going to guess Austin from what I had seen around um, on your page. Those are very similar cities, right? They um, are. Yeah. Austin's definitely bigger, but Nashville's on like a similar trajectory. Yeah, I haven't been there since I was a kid, but there's so many like entrepreneurs and tech people and music and creative people living in both of those cities. And um, one of them is the guy from, oh, Tucker Max, that writer. Mm -hmm. And he's always talking a lot about how he didn't publish a bunch of books because the moment passed. Like he had the idea for the book. He kind of like half-heartedly wrote an outline. He didn't really focus on it. And then he's like, those books will never be written because that time and that period of like who I was in my life at that moment Mm -hmm. is no longer appropriate. So it's like, yeah, yeah, if we don't, we don't act on what we're, what we want to do or what we think about, there is like a good risk that we never actually do it. So it's good to have you on because you've, you've, done so many things, but you've taken a lot of action, even in the face of having everything on paper. So can you give us a bit of a summary? Um, Right now you're married with two kids, like you have your job, you have your side hustle, but what was your earlier career like? And why did you leave such a, you know, high powered kind of successful career path in product development at ConvertKit to just do your own thing as this undefined entrepreneur and content creator? Yeah. So, uh, well, a couple of things. One is that, um, I made the, I made the move away from ConvertKit to be a part of the team at Podia and, uh, to be a director of creator success there. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a big change because I'd been at Podia or sorry, I'd been at ConvertKit for, 
about three and a half years at the time. I was employee number five. I was really early on. Um, you know, I had <laughs> a nice path to uh, good, you know, stock options and, you know, lots of, lots of things. Um, and a thing for me that I've always wanted to do that has always been like a guiding principle for my life is to like seek, seek the path of most uh, growth for myself personally. And the, uh, the opportunity to be a you know, director, director level at Podia was something that like just at the time being, I didn't have at ConvertKit. And that's nothing to say about like opportunities that I did or didn't have. I have nothing but respect for Nathan and Barrett, the leadership team at uh, ConvertKit, the uh, guy who is the director of success at ConvertKit CT is amazing. Like he's way more qualified <laughs> than I am. And um, so I, I went to Podia and it's been a great experience, but it, you know, it's a like, Everything on ConvertKit is public, and so you can see the growth that they've had. Uh, when I joined, we had less than 500 customers, and when I left, we had over 20,000 customers. Uh, wow. So it's just this huge exponential uh, growth that we had. But I wanted to expand myself, like grow personally, professionally, uh, take a leap of faith and a bet on myself, which is something that I've always I've always wanted to do uh, from the side hustle perspective, um, you know, a lot of people ask, and I've asked myself this too, because it is a lot of extra things to do. And I've often <laughs> asked myself, like, why can't, you know, like, why not just be content with like, you know, the nice job that you have and spend more time with, the, you know, spend more time with your uh, family. And like, there's just an itch that I like to scratch when it comes to like content creation personally uh i've been doing it even before you know i kind of got popular with it and it i think for me especially when it comes to the companies that i've worked at uh, especially convertkit and podia we're very focused on creative entrepreneurs and when and what i find is when i'm doing that work myself also it gives me just such a better window into the struggles and the challenges that all of our customers face. And so when I'm having a conversation with someone about like, oh, I'm trying to get more sales or I'm trying to get my first product off the ground or I'm trying to like grow my product from $100 to $1,000, from $1,000 to $10,000 in sales. Like I've done all of those things <laughs> and pretty recently. And so like it all works together for me. Uh, it creates really nice uh, <laughs> corporate term, but really nice synergy between the two, between the two uh, pursuits that I get to go after every day. I love that. I love that you're in the trenches and so much so that I wasn't even sure if you were the founder of Podia or if you worked there or if you, because <laughs> you're on the platform and then you're answering the support tickets and then you, you're on YouTube. <laughs> I was like, I don't even know what Matt, Matt is doing a lot of different things. And I couldn't really tell at first, um, you know, I didn't realize you had your hand in and everything there. But yeah, that's, it, it just makes you more of a human. And sometimes we see these big tech CEOs on Twitter, and they just seem like they're above the fray in a way, you know, like they only like text with Tim Ferriss and like, you know, they aren't <laughs> going to respond to your tweets. And it's like, I don't have Tim's number yet. <laughs> working on it. 
So they're just like name dropping and kind of like status signaling and positioning. And um, it's cool to think that you're like, you're one of us and, you know, you're a dad, you're a husband, you're a content creator, you're making online courses, you're working at a company, working with startups. And, um, and I think that that is kind of the direction that everyone is going in right now, especially with the pandemic. Um, well, I'll get to that in a second, but I did read that you felt like you were burning out a bit, um, working at ConvertKit. And I think right now is a really critical time for people who are either at jobs that they're uncertain about, that they don't even know if that company is going to be in business anymore, or they've been sent to work from home and now they're burning out even more at their corporate job because they're working longer hours um, and they're trying to prove themselves remotely without having FaceTime with their colleagues, or they're completely Mm -hmm. out of work, they're applying for unemployment and they're like Googling right. how to make money online and how to make an online course. So um, do you have any advice for, for people who are in the, those situations right now where they're feeling either completely lost or they're like burnt out, but they are afraid to depend on themselves for income? Yeah, it's definitely a scary time. And the, the thing, and this kind of connects back a little bit for me. It was about five years ago. I was trying to break into, I was trying to break into tech and I had gotten a contract working at a a company and I was really, really, really uh, excited about, about this opportunity and I was working really hard with it. Um, And I let myself believe that this was going to turn into a full-time thing. And like I was getting, I was getting good feedback. Everything seemed to be going well. Um, we had just had our first child. Um, he was maybe two months old at the time. And so I was like, yes, this is going to be, this is going to be the thing. And after about two weeks, they just said like, Hey, we're not, we're not going to continue with your contract. It's, you know, in, in any way, not even part-time, you're just pretty much going to be done. And, uh, that was a huge, huge, huge blow to me. Um, and I remember sitting there like on the porch of our duplex in, in Nashville It was like, you know, 600 square feet. And my wife was asleep cause she was working nights and like our, our, uh, son was, you know, taking one of his mini naps throughout the day. And I was just like, what, what am I going to do? What am I going to do now? And so like that feeling of, um, kind of, you know, not, not in a funny way, but <laughs> that, uh, that dumb and dumber scene. And they're like, what are we going to do, Lloyd? We got no jobs, got no food, pets heads are falling off. And I really like felt like that in the moment. And I promised myself that I was never going to fully rely on a company to provide all of my um, income ever again. And so that's really when, even though I had been kind of half-heartedly blogging, I'd done some podcasting until then I was like, okay, you know, this is, I'm going to build a business on the side. This is all I'm never going to compromise on this again. And even at the jobs that I've had since ConvertKit and Podia, like it's been <laughs> basically written into my contract that like, yeah, you can't ask me to stop doing the side hustle. If you don't like my work, then we can talk about the work, but I'm going to keep, you know, I'm going to keep hustling. And so with, with that, uh, I would just encourage people 
that uh, if it's something that you want to do to try and build a little business on the side, I think it's very doable. I think it's even actually even more doable right now because uh, it can it can be challenging. But and we can talk about this with like online courses and stuff is that there are there are still people out there who have money that they will spend and even people who are having a hard time still have problems that they need solved. And that might be a service that you can provide. That might be a course that you can create. It could be a simple like digital download. It could be, um, yeah, I think especially early on, if you're looking to make some money in a relatively short amount of time, then services are, are a good way to do that. Uh, one of the things that I did early on was like do illustration basically like cartooning <laughs> for people. Like I would do, um, I would do like, uh, yeah, just kind of, they're called sketch notes and I would do sketch notes for bloggers, podcasters, um, speakers about their, about their post topic or about their speaking topic. And, uh, just to give a, a visual representation of their content. And so, Everybody has a unique thing. I do believe that, that you can, a service that you can sell or something that you can learn. So this is, uh, even though things can feel incredibly overwhelming, this is a time that if you have time, you can uh, start to build something that can you know, provide value for you for the rest of your life. And what do you say to the people or the sentiment that it's too late to make it on the internet, that everything is too saturated. There's too many online courses. There's too many YouTube videos right. uploaded every second. Mm -hmm. There's too many podcasts. Like, yeah, what do you, what's your opinion of that? It's easy to feel that way. It's probably even easier to feel that way right now when it's like, uh, I was talking to my YouTube coach about this and she was she was like, yeah, you know, not only now are you competing against all the other <laughs> normal YouTubers that are out there, but also like, you know, Jimmy Kimmel and <laughs> Jimmy Kimmel at like all the late night crew and, um, you know, John Krasinski just randomly started up his million subscriber channel <laughs> last week or two weeks ago. And, you know, SNL is churning out content, so it can feel very challenging right now. And I think always the answer to this, uh, Seth Godin has has been writing about this, uh, not this particular moment, but this particular idea for years of if you can find a small group of people that care passionately about a specific thing that you can like talk about, lead a tribe about. My favorite book from Seth is Tribes. And it's about, I don't know, I'm hooked into my headphones now like it's 2010, but, um, it's a small book, maybe about 10, you know, at least 10 years old. And it's all about like leading a small, a relatively small tribe of people, because what you'll find when it comes to like building a small business or a community is that the more specific that you can make it, the more likely it is that you will attract, um, an audience around it. And, so don't think don't think of things in like really big ways right now. I would try and think of like a really specific problem that you can solve and people that you know it will help and just start from there and begin to build. Yeah, I think that's really good advice because it can be easy to get caught up in the bigger picture when there's people like Gary Vaynerchuk and everyone saying like, you know, pump out this content and grow this audience and blah, blah, blah. And it's really just about helping 
one person. I mean, in, in going back to basics, and then that one person can turn into two, right. and it can turn into more, but you really don't need that many. Like, the, like just like the 1,000 true fans concept, right. I mean, I have to reality check myself all the time because there's a lot of pressure to, like, grow yep. on every platform all the time, but, like, to what end? Like, right. are you know, Casey Neistat is probably still trying to grow his channel and he's got millions of subscribers. It's right. like, you're never going to have enough. Yep. So it's like saying like, oh yeah, I have too much money. I guess like I don't need any more. <laughs> like, or I don't know, like it's just not, everything's infinite. Everything's infinitely big in the universe. Yeah. Everything's infinitely small in particles and there's like no end to anything. So it's just about like, you know, being where you are in that moment and I remember when I started my um, my online relocation company, I used to write the names of the people that I helped on a poster board mm -hmm. and I would put it on my wall. And then it got Love to that. the point where I had to like tape the poster boards together and then I put it in a spreadsheet and that's where it lived after that. It was like, yeah. these are the people I've relocated and it was all in a spreadsheet, but I could have never conceived of that. Like it's almost, it's like a thousand people now. Right. Uh, over nine years. Yeah. Okay. So it's That's not awesome. like I had a thousand people on the first day, right. like knocking down my door. It, it started with one person. His name was Grayson. I still like remember everybody's names yeah. <laughs> and then his roommate and then his brother and then his friend. And it's like, yeah. And that was able to sustain me. And, and provide a livable income and savings for me for the past nine years. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, people can start, um, they can just start where they are. And, and even seeing all the people come out on YouTube now and all of the big stars and everything, it has gotten me thinking about what if everybody had a personal brand? There's actually probably enough room for everybody Right. Yep. If you think about think it, it because everyone's their own unique person. Right. So couldn't everyone just have a personal brand? Yep. Yeah, I think so. I think that's very true. And I think it's not about attracting all the people or the most people, but attracting the right people. You know, you mentioned it with the thousand true fans, which is, uh, yeah, just an iconic article from a long time ago by Kevin Kelly, who's the founding editor of Wired magazine and yeah the for those listening that aren't familiar with it the the premise of like the entire idea is that if you have <clears throat> a thousand true fans like raving fans will basically purchase anything that you put out uh are happy to support your patreon and like you know subscribe to your youtube channel and buy your course and your ebook and all of the things um if you find a thousand people that are willing to basically pay you a hundred dollars a year, so you know, eight, nine bucks a month, then you will have created a hundred thousand dollar business to support yourself. And so, when you think of it in those terms, that a uh, thousand people is not really that many. Now, how many, like, how much of an audience do you have to have to get to a thousand true fans? That's kind of a little bit of a different uh, calculus, but depending on depending on your offer, depending on what you share with people, that you know something that might be a very gen someone who might have like a lifestyle brand that's very generalized may not have that many people that are actually willing to pay. You see this a lot with, uh, you know, say like Instagram influencers that are all of a sudden trying to sell their merch and people are like, eh, eh, 
good. <laughs> but I know, um, I know a lady, uh, she spoke at the ConvertKit conference a couple of years ago, and she has a blog that's all about succulents, the plants, um, which I didn't know what those were uh, until she got on the stage or like <laughs> met her and just thought they were plants, but I, now I know they have a name. And <laughs> so she does about a little cacti, yeah, right? Little cacti. Yeah. She does about 150 K at the time, $150,000 a year on her succulents blog and site. And like just doing eBooks and, you know, some short courses. I think her most expensive, like public offering was still, a, was about a hundred dollars. And so Whatever you want to talk about, most likely these days, there's an audience out there for it. And yeah, it's just doing doing the work and you know putting in the creative reps to find that right fit. Yeah, there's a writer named Zat Rana on Medium. Have you ever read his stuff? Mm -hmm. He's like, I think has 110,000 followers on Medium. I just looked and he sent out basically a notice that he was going to quit writing on medium and he was only writing for his private audience now. And I think it was $6 a month to become a member. And, um, I signed up as like a founding member of his tribe or whatever. I don't even read all of his stuff, but I just want to support people who want to make it on their own and not have to like sell out to a big platform and um, that's how people can be their authentic, true selves yep. is if they're able to support, genuinely support themselves with their work through their audience and not have to take sponsors and not have to worry about click through rates on their article headlines or, you know, getting the perfect image. And I mean, yeah, you can go that route, but I think that he will deliver more value to his readers if he's in complete control of what he's writing about and he's able to do that without worrying about if he's going to be able to put food on the table. So everybody support your creators. <laughs> and so if people are interested in pursuing this in in starting to develop their personal brand and monetizing their identity as a human being in the world, where do they start? I mean, Let's say they've never published a piece of content before. They don't have an email list. They don't have an audience. Can they still realistically make an online course and expect anyone to buy it? Or, you know, where, where do they start? Yeah, it's a great question. It's probably the most common one that we get. The majority of people who sign up for Podia uh, have never created an online course before. And so, yeah, I if you're listening, I talk with other people like you every day. Uh, you're not alone in this. So the way that I always recommend people start, um, there are a lot of the good news is that, you know, you have the tools to create content online and they can be relatively cheap. Um or completely free. The kind of downside of it is that everyone also has access to these tools, but don't, you know, don't let that get you down. The thing that I recommend is that thing you want to um, use a use a medium or a like a channel that works best for your uh, works best for your personality. So could be writing a blog, could be having a podcast, could be on video with a YouTube channel, or even you know, Instagram TV, you know, sometimes I even had, I'd, you know, even on video, I had a friend, um, Alexis, who is, uh, works at Patreon and she's had a YouTube channel for 
a couple of years now and it does okay. But then she started putting her like comedy videos just on Twitter and she like blew up in the past month. Uh, and she's she's really smart. So you never know like where that channel is. But think about like, are you better writing, talking or like being on being on camera? And there are tools for each of those. So I would I would think about that. Um, the next piece is, you know, think about what you want to uh, talk about, what you want your topic to be. The more niche, the better. And if you're really early on in this, then I think it's okay to try out a few different topics that you're interested in to see what is going to resonate as you're consistently putting out content. So for me, early on when I was on YouTube, I would talk about my work. I would talk about fitness. I would talk about like marketing and leadership and product development. And I talked some about productivity and I put out a video just about bullet journal productivity. Uh, August of 2017 and that video did much better when I looked at all my stats from three from you know that past year in November I noticed that that video had done way better than any other and so I thought okay I'm going to make a few more videos specifically about bullet journaling and productivity and those videos that was my like takeoff moment was having those videos do really well and I've followed the path down since that but that was my, the video that really took off, the video that um, when I hadn't had a video all year go over a thousand views, and then this video, which I published on like December 24th, 2017, I had published like 70 videos already that year, and none had gone over a thousand views. And that video went over a thousand views in like 36 hours. I was like, wow, that's great. <laughs> And I just kind of kept going from there. But, you know, I took a lot of shots, you know, rel you know, metaphorically speaking, I put in a lot of creative reps just to see what was resonating with people and what, uh, you know, what might get <laughs> picked up by YouTube. We've mentioned that a couple of times. You can't always know what is going to take off. And, you know, just as another example of that, my actually my most watched video on my channel now, it just passed 600,000 views but it was a video that I did about like keeping a journal, like a diary, basically. And I put that out in May 2018. And I didn't think that was going to be that big of a deal <laughs> anyway. Um, but that that video has, you know, far and away been my uh, my biggest one so far. So picking picking a picking, a you know, a, con a type of channel that you want to communicate through written audio or video finding like using a few different topics that you're interested in to see what resonates. And then once you see, uh, once you see what people are paying attention to really start focusing on that particular topic. So for me, it was productivity and bullet journaling, um, specifically bullet journaling as a ways to productivity. I kind of became like the Trojan horse for how I think about life is, yeah, I just put it all down in the bullet journal. And then I get to talk about mindfulness and productivity and goals and, you know, be time management. Um, but that is kind of the way that you can progress through it. Uh, it does take time. Now, if you have more clarity about what you want to talk about, like whether it's, you know, cooking or homeschooling or fitness, or, you know, maybe it is, you know, productivity in some way, um, go with that topic. But even in like, if you have that primary topic that you believe you already want to talk about, still be thinking about different ways that you can make it specific to you. So like, let's take cooking. As an example, um, you could just talk about cooking or you could talk about 
Um, now, this is kind of an overlap of topics, but you could talk about paleo and keto meal planning for elite athletes. So you can think about how you can take a relatively generalized topic and still go deeper into the niche. Like, and for me, I'm you know, overall in the productivity niche, but I go really deep <laughs> into like bullet journaling as a method within that. So continuing to like nail down to focus in on as tight of a niche as you can, because the better that you can do that, the more descriptive and clear your content is going to be to others. And it's going to help them understand really quickly what you're all about. And it's going to make it easier for them to share as well. Like when I was talking about like before I got you know better or more consistent with this, like I said really early on with the YouTube channel. Now I do think there again is a is a space early on to be consistent and see what hits. But at the same time, it probably would have been kind of hard for me to grow because let's say that, you know, Kristen, you were telling a friend about my YouTube channel. I'd be like, well, what does Matt talk about? Like, well, he talks about productivity, but then there's some stuff about marketing and then his kids are in there some and he talks about food and he works out and he, uh, and he like goes swimming sometimes. And they'd be like, OK, fine, never mind. Like unless you like become kind of popular, just like, oh, you know, like Casey Neistat, I'm just curious to see what he's yeah. doing <laughs> each day. Like you could tell me Casey does all of those things and be like, great, that looks interesting. I'll watch it. But early on, you want to give people a really clear, um, basically, you know, you want somebody else to be able to give your um, elevator pitch for you, basically. Like your your messaging needs to be that strong to where it's like now you say like, oh, well, Matt talks about like bullet journaling and productivity. And what people get scared about is like, oh, what if people don't know what that is or they're not interested in it? That's OK. That's OK at that point, because you actually don't want to be general for a really long time, if ever, like the more specific, because then the people that are like, oh, I've been trying to bullet journal. I've been trying to be more productive. Tell me about tell me about the channel. And it just kind of goes from there. And then do you have a course yourself on bullet journaling or productivity? Yes, so I have I have uh, two two courses now, one that's on productivity and goal setting and one that is on uh, journaling more specifically than bullet journaling. Most of my bullet journal stuff is all on YouTube. Like I have a a uh, basically a course substitute that's just a playlist on YouTube that's about, you know, how I set up a bullet journal. As a follow-up to what you were saying, um, for some people, I know I went through this when you start creating content, you're going to have an idea of what you think people want to know about. And then you'll get feedback pretty quickly <laughs> as to whether or not they actually want to know about that. And so when I started my YouTube channel, I just thought I was going to be a travel vlogger. But then people didn't really people liked my travel vlogs. Like they're pretty funny, actually. But um, there just wasn't a lot of search volume for what I was posting. Yep. And then people would watch it once and be like, okay, cool, like cool experience, cool adventure. And then that was it. And then I had a similar experience in, it was late, I think like December of 2018. So about a year after you, when I was on the Nomad Cruise, I uploaded a video about the cost of living in Lisbon, Portugal. And I didn't have internet on the cruise. It was only in the ports. So I mm -hmm. uploaded it and then <laughs> I wasn't online for a couple of days. And when I came back, it had gotten like 
over a thousand views just in the first 24 hours. And awesome. I didn't have another video over 500 views. Yeah. And that video today has almost 200,000 views. Yeah. And then all of the similar videos I posted about the cost of living and like travel guides on those destinations have gotten like 50 to 100,000 views. And then they're going to cross that soon. So, but I also have published <laughs> over a hundred live streams and over a hundred videos on other random things that didn't go anywhere. But I don't think I, I, there's no way that I would have produced that specific video about Lisbon if I hadn't have made all of the other videos I made that year, because just the idea for the video, the way I came across on camera, what I included in the script, the information that you know people have been asking for th- this video was just a culmination of a lot of things that i had learned over posting videos that entire year right and so you just don't know you know where things are going to go but can people like let's say they sign up for podia and they um are making their first course should they make the course first and then try to sell it or should they put up like a a landing page and ask people if they want to buy it and just put up a sales page and get interested possible clients and then build it after. Right. Yeah, this is a really good question. And it's something that I don't think that there is any like specific right answer to. But the way that I normally coach people through this is when you sign up for when you sign up for Podia, Uh, the first thing that I always recommend people do, especially if you don't have like your first course ready to go, is there is a way on Podia to set up a like a bio page with a newsletter, an email newsletter capture, because it is really important to start collecting emails as soon as possible. And you can do that on Podia. It's really easy to set up. It's just a couple of clicks. Because I'll tell you, just as a quick aside, uh, when I did my last course launch, the that like 90% of my sales, 80 to 90% of my sales come through my email list. Now, all of those email addresses for the most part are also YouTube subscribers. So there is like a huge amount of overlap, but the difference between the people who see it on YouTube and buy and the people who see it in email and buy it's, it's not even close. It, it, it makes so collect emails <laughs> as soon as you can. That's going to be your best sales channel. Like no, no doubt, um, especially when you're just starting out. So you can set that up. And there, oh. oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say you can set that up in on Podia within 15 minutes of signing up for a, for an account. So starting there is a really good way to start to communicate with people and build that audience. And then you can kind of work with them and start to share the different, uh, whether it's ideas that you have for a course or just as you are building the course, Say like, hey, here's here's like a little preview of lesson one or here's the outline of the course. The other thing that I always that I do recommend people doing at this point is as you start to build a little bit of an audience and it doesn't have to be much uh, start like trying to pre sell the pre sell the course. Um, Now, I think you should do this when you do have a pretty good idea of what you want the course to be and a realistic timeline of when you could complete it. I was actually talking to a customer about this yesterday, but like getting getting people to actually pay, not just like sign up with emails like, hey, are you interested in this course that I'm going to make? Sure, I like you. I'm interested in your course. But then you're like, hey, I'm going to have this course ready. Will you pay $50 for it? Will you pay $100 for it? It's going to be 
$100, $200 when it's actually ready. Um, but will like trying to get people to pay will tell you if they're interested. And yeah, I will say that like just because someone doesn't pay doesn't mean that it's a bad idea necessarily. It's not a good sign, <laughs> but it could also be that you didn't do a very good job of like selling the idea. You didn't explain it clearly enough. You maybe were, you know, afraid to pitch. I've experienced all of these things uh, myself. But the even if people tell you no, and some people will tell you no, trying to even like get past the fear, get over the fear or the frustration of like, oh, it didn't work to be like, oh, well, what? Why didn't why weren't you interested in this? Or, hey, can you give me like some feedback on on this course idea? People will often just tell you, like sometimes they'll tell you things like, oh, you know, I don't have the money or I don't have the time. But they may just be like, hey, you know, this wasn't the idea for me or like I thought you were offering this. And you'd be like, oh, my gosh, I was actually offering something totally different. They're like, well, that didn't make sense to me. That's a really good sign. Like the sooner that you start asking for money the sooner that you're going to start to understand what people will, will really buy from you and how to best communicate it. Yeah, I'm actually planning on doing that for a new course that I've been wanting to make for like the past six to eight months, probably. It's called, I already have the name for it, a travel mastery course where I just teach people all of my travel hacks and tips and strategies for saving money and things in one place. Yep. Um, but because I was traveling so much, I just found it hard to make time between work and content and other stuff to actually make the course. And then when I came across Podia, I was like, this is great because I don't have to use a lot of different types of technologies and software platforms. I can just put everything here. Right. So one of the things that I'm planning to do now that I finished um, my make money mentorship course, which is now live on Podia guys, you can actually learn step-by-step step in 30 days, how to make money online. Love it. Um, I'll link to that in the show notes and I do already have clients signed up for it. So I actually like pre-sold it before people, Perfect. um, before I finished it <laughs> or yeah, yeah. I so I, I customized it. Um, but I want to do that for the travel course and just put the outline up. And then I'm not sure exactly what the price point is going to be, but like probably pretty low, like, I don't know, like definitely less than $500. And, um, yeah. and then I'll get people to just give me feedback on that and they'll actually be able to buy it. And then I'll give like two weeks before it's ready or until the first module is ready or whatever it is. So that's what I'm going to do before I do my next course. Cause I want to make sure it's exactly what, people want to know about. And then it's a collaborative yeah. thing. Right. And um, yeah, it doesn't matter if you have an audience or not. I don't think um, I have a friend who just started a, a group training on something and she only has like a handful of clients and she's made over 20 grand just mm -hmm. off of talking on people one-on-one -on -one and pre-selling it before she started it. So yep. there's plenty of ways, even if you have, two or three people signed up in your course, like you can make as much money as your salary that month. Um, and then Podia is like, I've been using it now for about six weeks or something like that. Can you explain what the difference is between Podia and a lot of the other course platforms? Because people are really familiar with like 
Udemy and Teachable and Skillshare. Right. But they're kind of like the freelancing websites of online course platforms. Like there's so many courses. Right. A lot of them are $10 and it's like really competitive and you don't get paid a lot of money. So how is Podia different from those as well as like the more expensive custom um, pieces of software that like the big entrepreneurs are using, like Russell Brunson and people like that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's a great question. So for specifically things like, um, like Udemy and Skillshare. So Skillshare for both of those, uh, the big drawbacks for the, well, let me, let me just be a nice guy and start with the positives. The positives is the positives for both of those are that, um, they bring an audience to you. Like people, students for lack of a better term, go to Udemy and Skillshare to learn, like to try and learn something. And so that is a positive that uh, students, buyers, are actively going to those sites looking for courses. The downside for you as the creator is that they basically force you into a price. It's usually pretty cheap and, you know, 10, 10, 20 bucks. Uh, and so your your ability to make a really like solid income off of those is pretty is pretty low, in my opinion, because they force you into a price you actually don't own your audience at all. Um, you know, they sign up for you to me and you, I don't think you are able to really access their emails or maybe you are, but like there's something in your terms of service that, uh, I would never use you to me personally or Skillshare. Um, but the, the pot and then, uh, teachable teachables, uh, more like Podia. The, uh, thing with teachable is that, uh, their courses, their courses only. And, um, they're also a little more, a little more expensive. The nice thing about Podia is that Podia combines a f several different products into one to really make it a great all in one solution for, uh, the creative, you know, for a creative business. And so you have online courses, you can do digital downloads like eBooks, um, or like any kind of file. We have a lot of illustrators and photographers that sell like design files and, you know, illustration or uh, photography presets, uh, all kinds of things. And then uh, also memberships. And so like if you're on Patreon or something, something like that, then you can basically have a version of that inside of Podia also. So and there's also email marketing and a pay and a site builder. So there is a lot that you can do inside of uh, Podia. And then uh, larger ones like Kajabi or ClickFunnels, what I have found is that uh, not only are they more expensive, uh, ironically, sometimes there are more limitations. Like I think the starter plan with Kajabi, uh, you, which is still more expensive than the nicest Podia plan, uh, only limits you to five products. Um, and uh, ClickFunnels is another one. They're, both of those have a lot of features, sometimes more features than Podia, but uh, often for someone who's getting started on top of the like just month to month price, uh, they're both very complex. And so um, that's why a lot of times you will see like some more uh, advanced or like you know, some of the big influencer entrepreneurs and course creators using using those um, just because they have they need a lot more features, but also many times they have entire teams that like they just have the click funnels person like they're not doing it. <laughs> they're not yeah. doing it anymore. So if you're starting out on this, like Podia is going to replace four or five, six tools that you might be using or feel like you have to sign up for. And that to me is the real value in it is that it's just such an all in one platform for someone who's just getting started. Yeah. And if I could just add, this is not a sponsored podcast, but um, 
I think one of the reasons why I didn't create more digital products and courses in the past year or so is because I was probably in hindsight, like just overwhelmed with all the different pieces of technology that I needed to string together to make it happen, whether it was Mm -hmm. MailChimp, with lead pages, with click funnels, you know, with all of these things. And I actually found Podia when I was looking for a better email marketing system because I don't really mm. like MailChimp. And then all the, the email marketing systems are very expensive. So even if you're not doing anything with your email list, you have to pay a lot of money just to like right. have the emails on a list, mm-hmm. um, which is a great business model for them, but it's not right. good for small creators. <laughs> yep. And then I found Podia and... I was like, this is too good to be true because you can have unlimited email addresses. Like there's no extra charge. You could have a billion emails and you would not have to pay anything extra for it. And the interface is just really easy. So you could do your webinars from Podia. It's like integrated with YouTube now. You can do landing pages. You can do sales pages. You can send out email broadcasts, which is like really easy compared to using some of the other um, pieces of software where it's like, I'm very smart. I have an MBA, you know, but I'm like in these CRM systems, like how the hell do I just send one simple text email (laughs) to my list? And so I'm actually using the features, which is something I didn't do when I was paying for other stuff. So um, we'll definitely link though to to Podia in the show notes that you guys can start with that. I did the free trial and then uh, you guys hooked me in, but I I definitely (laughs) think that it will pay off. And I look forward to creating like a whole ecosystem of different eBooks and, and courses and things like that. Um, in there. So I feel like I'm just getting started and it's really fun. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's, it's also a creative outlet to, uh, to build that. Um, and then, okay. So what kind of, we're kind of going over time, so I'll we're good. cut this short, but, um, what kind of income are like small creators making on Podia? I mean, are these people that are like that were freelancers and now they're able to replace their income with their online course income or what can people expect if they, you know, long term? And I know that you were saying in some of your blog posts that it can take a lot longer than you think for this to replace your current income, but what is kind of like the range over time that people are seeing from your statistics point of view? Yeah, and that's a really good question. And I do think that it varies for people, certainly. But one of the things that I do say that it, you, you saw in a, in a post that I wrote is that I believe people wait, creators wait too long to start monetizing their ideas and their content, but also oftentimes expect that you know, like a complete six figure turnaround is going to happen usually faster than it actually will. But there's a lot, there's a lot that goes into it, including like your niche, your industry, your pricing obviously plays a huge role in it, your audience size. Cause you mentioned your friend that only has like, you know, maybe a handful of handful of clients and, you know, did $20,000. If you have a thousand dollar a month offer, then that's, that's very doable. But you have to think about like, what can I offer that people would pay a thousand dollars a month for? Because those things do exist. It's just finding the right fit and positioning the right offer for your services or for your course for your membership. Um, early on, I always encourage people to like set very specific uh, revenue goals 
for their products, for their business. And one of the first ones that <laughs> I always like to encourage people on is see if you can make back whatever your Podia payment is every month. So um, like say you have an ebook, that's, I always, if let's say you have an ebook, one of the things that I do is I just say, okay, we'll charge $39 for it. Because if you just sell one each month, then Podia is paid for. If you sell two, then basically, you know, there's, there are two uh, pricing levels with Podia right now. It's uh, 39 and 79. If you sell two and you're on like the higher plan, then you've paid that off. And so that is one way to think about it. And then I always encourage like, again, thinking about it in terms of like, okay, now how, so that was one goal I had. And then the next goal I had was like, okay, I spend, you know, about $150 a month on average at the time on like all my digital tools. And so 150 bucks a month, how can I start making 150 bucks a month? Okay, I've done that. How can I make 500 bucks a month? How can I make $1,000 a month? And continuing to kind of build in that uh, progression, uh, there, are, there are people who make $100,000 a month on Podia. Uh, they're, um, I think, well over, there are, yeah, well over, like thousands of people who make $1,000 a month. And again, it doesn't all have to be that you have 10,000 email subscribers or 40,000 uh, YouTube subscribers, 10,000 YouTube subscribers. There's a lot of there's a lot of variation when it comes to pricing and offer and interest. Um, so that is, that's a big, that's the big thing with it. I would also say, um, especially early on, especially if you've either been furloughed or you don't have a job anymore, Think about how you can take maybe the skills that you built in your in your past job, in your previous career, and use that as a service for for other people. Um, like, you know, how could yeah, just basically how could you do that? Uh, one one lady who's on Podia, she was the go to person. Uh, and this isn't she wasn't you know, she's not a part of like the recent unemployment, but this was a few years ago. And she was the person at her work who was always the go-to person on um, like Excel spreadsheets, Google sheets. Like she just knew everything, you know, everything there was to know about those. She, you know, showed people how to use, you know, all the things. And I'm not that good at Google sheets at an advanced level like her. I need to take her course. But so <laughs> she, she transitioned uh, into basically having a course about how to be an Excel, an Excel master. And that's what she started doing her work on. So thinking about the specific things that you have that you can teach. And I would also think about it in terms of uh, people, in terms of like, <laughs> what can you teach that's going to make the most money? That's a perfectly valid thing to think about. I think about that a lot. Like what skills do I have that are most in demand that people are going to pay the most money for? And people like to, um, people like to be healthier or they like to try to be healthier and they like to make more money themselves. And so if you know of ways that you can specifically just from a pricing standpoint, if you know of ways in your, you know, in your job or with your expertise, you're like, if you do this, you will lose 10 pounds. If you do this, you will make a thousand dollars. If you do this, you will double your sales. Then you can take whatever that, you know, outcome is and like tie a very, like really anchor a price to it. Cause if someone came up and told me like, Hey Matt, I guarantee that I can double your course sales. I'd be like, oh, okay, really? And you know, if they you know sold me well, I'd be like, yeah, my product is five thousand dollars. I might be like, okay, well, if I double my sales, then 
okay, you know, that's actually a pretty, pretty reasonable thing. Now, you know, that you have to be able to deliver, you know, you, people are going to, the. I will say that the more that you charge people, the more they are going to need to be convinced <laughs> that <laughs> they are, that you are worth paying that money to, but there's a really good chance that you are. And so I don't want you to like set your sights too low, you know, just, you know, work hard, keep putting products out there, keep putting content out there. And you're going to find like, that alignment between the content that people are interested in and the money that they're willing to pay that can build your business. Yeah, that's really good advice. And also shout out to Podia for not taking a commission on the sales. Like you guys just pay a flat fee of $39 to $79 a month and they're not taking 5% of everything you sell. So these other courses, like people have commented on my like videos and stuff. They're like, well, isn't um, Podia more expensive? And I'm like, no. And even if it's like a free platform, they're still taking a percent of sales. And so like in the first month mm-hmm. or so, you're going to be paying them more. And then it just goes from up from there. And then you have right. this huge, massive switching cost yep. where the company's taking a commission every month, but you don't want to switch platforms because then you have to like upload everything to a new platform and whatever, change yep. all of your links. And like, it's like a big headache. So yeah, yes. I had I had someone that moved over just to that point. Um, and this is less this is more common than you would think. But I had someone who started on a free platform. Uh, I won't name it because there are, you know, y'all can try and figure it out. But because um, I do have you know friends there and I like like the people. But this is like someone who started on a free platform and, you know, built built their audience. And, you know, it was a I think a five percent cut of sales. And when you you know, when you're doing a hundred bucks, a month, you're like, oh, five bucks, this is great. And then you do a thousand bucks a month, you're like, ah, 50 bucks, not a big deal, I'm rolling. But then like this person had gotten up to, um, had gotten up to basically $10,000 a month that they were doing. And all of a sudden their free platform was $500 a month that they were paying you know, month after month after month after month. Yeah, definitely. Um, that's something that people should set their sites higher because that first dollar that you make online can easily turn into $10,000 a month and you don't know when it's going to happen exactly. Yep. I, I've seen this happen so many times and you want to have that structure set up so that when it rains, it pours and you have right. something to collect the rain in because right. everybody with a drop shipping store right now is crushing it, but yep. they might have set up their stores five years ago and so they position yep. themselves without knowing there was going to be a pandemic and now they're making a lot of money. So they have an advantage over people who are like, let me learn how to do yeah. drop shipping now. Right. And so this is something that, you know, whether I was talking with Johnny from um, Nomad Summit mm-hmm. and he does like drop shipping and stuff like that. And we were talking about how there could be a nuclear war or like any other kinds of big disasters in the future. Uh, hopefully there's not, but either way, it's kind of like the worst case scenario has happened now. And so if you start to get yourself in a more diversified financial position now, you're going to yep. be set up a lot better, even if it's 1% better or 10% better when the next thing happens or when the next shoe drops or whatever the saying yeah. is. And um, <laughs> you just don't you like... Even as a creator, even with a lot of knowledge on different platforms, you don't know exactly where your income is going to come from because right. I 
started writing on Medium before the partner program started. And then Mm -hmm. it started and I just ignored it for a while because I was like, how much are they really going to pay me for these articles? And then I finally signed up and I put in my um, tax information and then I made like $3 on an article. (laughs) And then one day I logged in and it said $1,500 from one article in like one month. And I was like, what? Yeah. And yeah. And like I was a, a gaming affiliate. Nice. And that's like crazy. I mean, one day I got a payout. It was like 40 grand. And I got this like notification on my phone. I remember I was walking. I was outside of the Tower of London. I had just spent the day in the museum. And then I was waiting for an Uber and I got this notification like $40,000 was deposited in your account. And I just like jumped up and down (laughs) and this taxi driver was like, what happened? I was like, oh, I just got paid. (laughs) No big deal. (laughs) But, you know, then another month it might go down to $300 or whatever. So you just have to like have like a lot of pieces in place. And then just like a video that goes viral or or a meme that goes viral or some product that you make that everybody loves. Like you just don't know when that's going to happen. So love that advice. Um, Let's move into some productivity and procrastination stuff because it is a weird time right now with coronavirus. So what does a day in your life currently look like? And how are you staying productive working from home during this like period of anxiety with a family at the same time? Yeah, it gets it gets challenging, but it's it's good. So I have a lot of kind of systems set up already because I've been working from home for about five years now. Now, I haven't been working at home with everybody at home <laughs> for, for yeah. five years. That's just the last two months like everyone like everyone else. But uh, the things for me, um, I think that something it just just from the just from the jump that's really important is uh, my wife and I communicate a lot about like what my schedule is like when I need to be on or off calls, um, what you know, what my needs are. Uh, just just from a professional standpoint. And, um, you know, she's she's great and very supportive of my work. And she she's a nurse. And so on days that she works, I basically work very little to not at all. (laughs) And um, at least at least right now. And so uh, we communicate a lot about what what the timing is for everything. And the the other piece of this is that uh, other than times where I might have, you know, calls or interviews or like things that I have to be like on zoom for, I try and be really flexible with, uh, stuff that, um, you know, stuff that my family might need. And so that helps. And then, uh, being, being in a, being in a position where, you know, I do work a lot of early mornings and a lot of late nights. And so that is kind of, that is kind of the trade off right now, um, of especially doing the things that I want to be doing both with Podia as my primary job and then my my side hustle, my side business and YouTube. So there is not as much sleep. <laughs> I'll, you know, just there's there's no other way for me to like say it besides that right now. And I'll, I'll be more specific. Usually I'm looking at, you know, six, six hours of sleep, give or take uh, top in probably seven hours. And then, you know, the not an occasional night of, say, like, you know, five ish hours. And so. There is, you know, there is that, but I, in terms of, I, in terms of like, how do you like stay productive and focused, <laughs> especially on times where you don't have as much sleep, 
Um, that's where the bullet journal uh, really comes in very handy for me. So I write down at the beginning of the week, like all the major tasks and projects that I have in that week coming up. And I try and prioritize them based on impact, importance, um, you know, confidence that I can get through them, uh, time that it might take to execute. And then I basically try and like group them into days like, okay, well, this matters to get done at the beginning of the week. And so I'm going to try and knock that out by Monday or Tuesday. This can kind of wait towards the end of the week. So I'm going to like and then I do a lot of time blocking. And again, that goes back to the communication piece with uh, my wife is that again, even though I try and still be really flexible, I might say like, hey, from, you know, I start at nine and until 11, I'm just going to be, you know, like doors locked in the office, noise canceling headphones on. If you need me, text me because I'll see the text as it pops up. But I probably won't be able to hear anything. <laughs> um, noise canceling headphones are very good if you're, you know, working from home and you have you have the kiddos. Um, and so just having those because then even when I have my tasks written down, I know kind of how I've ranked them. Then when I'm in that block of time, when I'm in my work day, then it takes away from some of the like, you know, laziness or distraction that I might be tempted towards, because then all I have to do is look at the notebook and be like, OK, well, I can do this. This is the next thing to do. And in terms of procrastination, the biggest thing that I have found besides having like just a list of things that I know I have to do is making a deal with myself mentally that um, at least at the beginning of any kind of task, I don't go into it actually thinking that I have to do a very good job at it. <laughs> I just have to get started at it. And I have to like sometimes like if I'm really feeling kind of unmotivated, then my only goal for starting a task is to is literally just to half ass it and <laughs> be like, can I can I like you know, give it the old try on this. And once I'm able to do something for, say, like 15 to 20 minutes, uh, then I really do kind of get back into my normal groove. I'm like, OK, well, I'm doing this. I've started. I'm in it. I'm going to do a good job. I'm going to keep working on it. Uh, this was uh, two nights ago. Yeah. Wednesday night, 1030 p.m. Had a video that I wanted to put out. I was like, I'll just get in here. I'll make kind of a half assed run at the initial edit, like get out the ums and the ahs and the parts are like, well, that kind of that part kind of sucked. I'm going to move past that. So I was like, I'm just going to, you know, kind of half ass it, make a quick edit, get out all the bad, you know, all the main the main cuts that definitely don't need to be in there before I really like chop it up. And then, an, you know, hour and a half, two hours later, it's midnight. The the edit is basically done at that point because 30 minutes in, I was like, OK, well, you know, I got that half ass part done and I'm kind of on a roll now. So let's keep going. Yeah, I definitely think that 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 helps a lot. And something for everybody to take note of during this time and to have compassion about is that everyone's on a crazy mood swing right now on, yep. on top of everything else. So you really just might not feel like it. And you might be living in an apartment in New York or Mumbai with like four other people and you're not usually there because you're just working all day and you guys commute to work in the morning and you come home late at night and you're, or you go out to dinner or whatever. And now everyone's stuck at home for the sixth or seventh week in a row. And so, yeah, mm -hmm. it's going to be hard to get into flow state or if yeah. you have your kids, you're trying to edit a video, <laughs> you know, yep. like jumping around. So um, I have felt that this week Specifically, there's something about um, self-sabotage and procrastination yep. that kind of go together. 
But it always brings me a lot of comfort (laughs) to know that it's just part of the human condition and Mm -hmm. nobody is immune to it. Nobody feels motivated and productive all the time. And philosophers have been writing about this for thousands of years. So it's like not going away. (laughs) Yeah. And so what I did um, this week, for whatever reason, I was having a really particularly hard time, maybe because it was the last week of my course. And so it's like building a house. The last part, like that last 10% takes as much time as the first 90%. Right. And everything felt like it was never going to get done. And so what I would do is I would write down specifically what I had to do next. Like Mm -hmm. I knew I had a lot of stuff to do in that day. And I'm like, all right, what do I have to do in the next 30 minutes? What would that thing be? And it was Mm -hmm. like research, you know, templates for cold emails. Okay, did that. And and I just did that throughout the day, like kind of like a toddler kicking and screaming. Mm -hmm. And then I had to um, reward myself. So I was like, okay, if I do this task, then I can eat a snack. If I do this, then I can go for a walk. And then there I was at 2 a.m. editing the last video (laughs) and uploading it. But like I couldn't even get to that point until after I had cut out all the bad parts of the video and Mm -hmm. cleaned it up and 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 so yeah it's just like there's no shortcut so even if yeah if if you're feeling bad I guess you just gotta push through it and come up with tactics to um reward yourself and also like convince yourself to do stuff because that's kind of the way that we've been trained i guess as humans it's like Mm -hmm. if you're good then you get a treat (laughs) yeah no there's a lot there's a lot that goes into that and you know that's kind of if you've read charles duhigg's books the power of habit that's kind of like habit building motivation 101 is is you find a cue that gets you started you go into the routine and then you give yourself a reward and you know that works it's you know it sounds overly simplistic but it will work i'm glad you brought up the reward part and you know what i normally tell people with this and you know absolutely like give yourself grace give yourself a break it's a wild time but i'll also say that one of the things that keeps me uh, like sane and happy and feeling like more motivated and fulfilled even now is like knowing that i'm still like getting stuff done that i'm still being creative and even if it's not at the level that maybe i would have preferred before this uh just knowing because i always know and this is something that i always keep in mind i've been talking to my kid my five-year-old about this is like even if you don't want to start something just starting really small and like seeing how far you can get before you're just like okay well that that's it for now like the feeling when you get to the end of that whether that is you know writing a post or editing a video or working on a podcast or you know shooting a video for me or like doing a workout you know anything like that like starting starting small and then getting to the end of even just that little phase feels really good and so i just kind of chase that feeling of even if i don't feel great about this at the beginning i know i'm going to feel really good about having made the effort at the end yeah and the end might not come today it might come later this week or later this year if it's a big project and you Mm -hmm. can't set your your thoughts that far ahead because it's too demotivating so just focus on those small wins and know that if you start something then that is usually the biggest hurdle like I know if I press play on my workout my home workout video if I press play I will work out for an hour 
if I don't press play, I won't work out. Yeah. So it's not like you're going to get halfway through and just quit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I mean, James Clear talks about this a lot in his book, Atomic Habits, that basically if you set up your like your starting point, then uh, he references a story from Twyla Tharp, who's like a choreographer, like composer. She's just, you know, brilliant. And she used to say like her goal wasn't necessarily to get into the dance studio every day. Her only goal was to like go outside and hail a cab because she knew if she walked outside and like, you know, called the cab that's all she had to do, because if she did that, then, you know, he was going to deposit her at the studio and she was going to go in and dance because that was just the thing. And, you know, I've kind of done that some, too, if I don't want to you know, get up early and go to CrossFit, which obviously I haven't done for seven, seven weeks now. But when I was getting up and going early, I kind of use that same idea as like, OK, well, all I have to do is get up and go sit in the car. If you're going to sit in the car at 515 in the morning, you're not usually going to get back in the house. Just be like, well, I'm here. <laughs> Might as well drive drive um so that is yeah like just thinking about like that first like little little system that you can put into place where your body's like oh, okay yeah this is the thing that we do with the stuff and the things <laughs> yeah totally if you just put your shoes on and go outside yep. and lock the door then you're probably going for a walk <laughs> yeah exactly oh man that's so funny okay we'll get to the lightning round now um i'm drinking kombucha over here but what is your morning beverage of choice? Coffee, strong. Uh, I actually drink um, this. Uh, I think it's it's cute, mostly like a Cuban blend from Costco, that great local coffee shop, Costco wholesalers. <laughs> um, now they sell this. I I really like it. It's uh, called Mayorga. It's in a big yellow bag and it's very strong and roasty and s- tastes like chocolate and dirt and the earth and I, not really dirt, but uh, uh, it's uh, coffee. I'm a dark roast person myself. I just got a recommendation um, from an ex friend well he's like a friend slash bumble date yeah (laughs) i keep in touch i keep good good relations that's awesome and um he sent me a we used to both drink we drink a lot of iced coffee we're from florida and Mm -hmm. um it's hot here i'm sweating right now and so he sent me this picture or it was like la colombe i think is how you pronounce it it's Mm -hmm. i had never had it before but they have a concentrate that's very strong and I had it for the first time today and you have to like dilute it with water and ice and milk and whatever, but it's so good. So I'm glad that he shared that that's with awesome. me. So I'll probably like your Costco one too. I'll have to make a note Check of it that. Out. Yeah. Big yellow bag starts with an M Cuban. It's great. Um, and what is the most important part of your morning routine? Uh, journaling. Journaling for me, definitely, it helps like set my mind up for the day. And then I am like super proud of myself. <laughs> I'd say like one thing that I've added in over the past, uh, one thing that has been nice that I've actually added in uh, over the last several weeks is I've been uh, meditating much more consistently, which I've never really been able to do. Um, but yeah, I've so journaling and meditation now say like both of those together normally take me 15 to 20 minutes so i don't give myself like okay it's got to be an hour or it's got to be three pages it's like it's kind of similar thing that we just talked about is you know i just 
you know, kind of journal initial thoughts for the day. I don't try and like do too much or go overboard. It's a very similar thing for meditating. I normally try and hit five to 10 minutes for each. And uh, yeah, just kind of move on from there. Totally. It's the ritual. But that's good. And what is your favorite remote work or work from home tool or app? Mm, That's a good one. Besides the bullet journal, uh, one that I've been using that uh, I really, I really like when my actually my five year old Mm -hmm. doesn't steal it is this thing called the time timer. And it's like a kitchen timer. You can use it, but it's a nice actually my my son told me about it in a way because they use it at school. Because, you know, a child doesn't, a four-year-old doesn't know what time, if you tell them they have 15 minutes left in something, they're like, great, might as well be 15 hours. And 15 hours might be 15 minutes, doesn't matter. But uh, this nice little thing with the time timer, it is like a kitchen timer. And so, like, you just turn it to, like, the amount of time that's left visually. And so, if I want to do, like, a Pomodoro productivity, you know, like, session, which is, like, 25 minutes on or 15 minutes on and then 5 to 10 minutes off, then that's that's what I'll use. And I'll just, you know, kind of set that next to the desk um, and just, you know, go f- as long as that uh, that time showing up. That's cool. I want one of those. Yeah, they're great. This, uh, that does bring me to what I was going to ask you, analog or digital? So from a productivity standpoint, I do tend towards analog because uh, it's a, a very literal, like, single task object. And I can only focus on that when I'm using it. I do use a lot of other like digital productivity tools. The two that I'm using the most right now are Notion and Rome Research. Uh, those are the two that I have liked the most this year. And I've been using Notion for about a year. But uh, the way that I kind of think through this, and I'll just give like a little a little version of it, but I do a lot of my brainstorming, planning, and um, like daily task list productivity analog in the bullet journal for long-term projects, for collaboration, for research, editing, building, especially like courses or products, that all is done digitally because, you know, obviously that makes the most sense. You know, you want to <laughs> save versions and be able to update and edit and make all those changes. I'm, I'm the same way. I am analog and digital depending on what it is. And my new analog daily thing, let's see if I can hold it in front of the camera. It's like a daily to-do list pad and you can just rip off the page when you're done and so it really forces you to choose up to three priorities for the day and then it's broken into hours and I just got it on Amazon because I was looking for something like this and uh, it forces you to just be realistic with what you're actually going to do that day and if you put too many things then you have to keep rewriting it on the next day Mm -hmm. until it annoys you enough that you just do it or you delete it or you delegate it or something and uh, that's good. Yeah, and my favorite planner for that, um, I don't know if you've seen it, is called the Full Focus Planner. I have that. Yeah, it's okay, great. Yeah, that's my favorite favorite type of structured planner is that one because it does like a lot of what you basically just said, which is like, what are your three big tasks? What are like the other ones? What's your t- what's your day look like? Yeah. It's really good. I love that one. I did it all last year. I'm taking a break because I felt like I spent too much time planning <laughs> when I used that and. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. I'm like, okay, I know what I need to do. I just need to like get to it. I don't need to strategize it as much as I used to, but that's because I spent a lot of years in like deep brainstorming strategy of my life, but I'm in a different phase, but now it's like action oriented. Do you theme your days as well? Because you said that you you batch your tasks and your focused deep work. Do you also do that? 
sometimes that's kind of hit or miss because I have so many different things going on. Um, but I do try and keep for the most part, like mon usually Mondays and Thursdays are my days to not do as many calls. Like I'm, I'll have a Podia team call on Monday uh, just to set up with the team for the week. But then I just focus on my tasks and same thing on Thursday. Friday's a little more a little more flexible, but yeah, I, I do it sometimes, but it's it's maybe not as much as I would as I would want to. But I do try and really uh, control my calls that I have. But a lot of that I'm better at it when it's not in the middle of a pandemic, because now <laughs> um, like I don't do calls on days that my wife works at all. Um, and so where that would normally be like Tuesdays and Thursdays are my call days. Now it's just like, okay, what days does she work? And I, you know, not going to do anything on those days. So just kind of depends. My other question is, can you just tell us, I was going to ask like, what do you, what is your biggest work from home struggle or weakness? And then can you tell us a little bit about your distraction journal that might relate to that? Uh, my biggest thing at home is um, just stopping working, which is like kind of sounds like um, that like classic interview answer. Like, oh, you know, what's your biggest what's your biggest struggle is like, well, you know, I do tend to work too hard and commit too much to the company. I really should work on that. <laughs> like, it's true, though. It is hard for remote workers yeah. to uh, cut off. Yeah, because and now everyone knows that. Yeah. And I've I was talking to my brother about this and he was like, when do you stop working? I was like, exactly. That's the tough. That's the tough part. And so for years and I've, I've told people this for years, like the great thing about working remotely is that you can work anytime, anywhere. The downside of it is that you can end up working all the time everywhere. And so that is still very much a challenge. It is a challenge even more so with, you know, people around all the time or like days that my wife works trying to squeeze in a couple hours after everyone's gone to bed and then I don't sleep as much. And that, you know, can lead to some of the burnout that I mean that you mentioned and I've talked about in the past is if you, you know, I know that when I when I say, I, you know, sleep in five, six hours a night, that's not ideal long term. Yeah, it's kind of been a little bit of the reality lately, but I know that that's not ideal long-term, but that has, that's always been my biggest struggle is, um, being really present, uh, when I'm not working and, you know, just kind of turning off the work mind, um, to be more present with, uh, with my family, with my friends, uh, when I'm, when I'm around them. And then the distraction journal is a thing where uh, I have a couple of pages. Usually it's not so much in my bullet journal occasionally, but I, I also use like little field notes, notebooks a lot also. And I'll often like I pretty much always have one of those near me or in my back pocket. And if it's something that's kind of distracting me from the work that I know I have to be doing at the time or like what I've blocked off time to do, even if it's like a good distraction like oh you know I need to email this sponsor or oh I need to email this affiliate about setting up a webinar if that's like the easier thing to do in the moment then it's really easy to get distracted by it and like pull myself away from writing a course lesson or recording a video and so I'll write that down in my distraction journal and sometimes it's just something silly uh that I that is a literal that is very literally a distraction doesn't matter like I don't need to give any time to it um, the ones that can be trickier are the ones that you need to do, but aren't as important in the moment. So I'll just write those down 
And then when I get into a little bit more of a time where I'm like, okay, I have a little bit more flexibility or maybe it's just time to bang through some tasks, I'll go look at the things that I have to do and whether it's my you know task list for the day or looking at a distraction journal and be like, okay, I did, I did need to email Kristen back and make sure that we're, you know, set up for, uh, set up for the interview. But I, you know, shouldn't be like stopping like the deep work, the creative work that I'm doing in the moment. I love that. I'm adopting that strategy because when we try to ignore it, but we don't do anything with the thought, the distracting thought, then it just gets embedded back into our subconscious to come up again later because our brain's going to keep serving it to us until we do something about it. It's like, did I close the garage door? Did I turn off the coffee maker? Like you're going to keep thinking of it. So I think that's a great idea to just write it down and then, and then do it later because our brain does like to have the path of least resistance and shooting off that one email. It might take you five minutes, but then you might Yep. Start answering email for an hour and then you're burnt out and you don't want to do your yep. course module. So <laughs> let that be known, everyone, that even course creators and people who work at course websites, for us, it's still like some of the hardest deep work and most focused work is taking concepts and teaching them to others and putting them into a framework that other people can consume and learn from. So this is the hard work, but I'm glad that... uh that we're doing it and we're encouraging each other and everybody else to, yeah, to do it. And you're going to learn your stuff better. Like I am a much better at explaining the things that I teach now than I was when I knew it three years ago, but I had never articulated it or written about it or made videos about it or all of the other things. So right, great. And then my last question is, it's kind of a two-part question. What do you miss the most about daily life during quarantine and where are you going to travel first when this is over? Yeah, great questions. Um, I miss the most uh, like going to CrossFit and, you know, just hanging out with friends, especially as the weather has gotten nicer. This would normally be a time that, you know, hanging out a lot with friends, going to the park, going to people's houses, doing cookouts, going to the pool. All of those things would kind of be in full swing right now. And so I miss, I miss that very much. And the first place that I'm traveling afterwards, um, it's one of two play. We, if kind of some of this is died down by early June, we're probably going to go down to the beach in Florida and like, yeah, in Jacksonville where my parents are, or, um, if not that I also do, uh, since you brought it up earlier, I do have a trip planned to Austin in the beginning of July. So probably, hopefully one of those two, if not that, then we have a trip planned to, um, to LA in late July. And I'm really hoping <laughs> that at least that one happens. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully California opens up by then. I had trips to Austin and California in April that were canceled. So it looks like I might be going in September or we'll see. But well, if you do come to Florida, maybe we can cross paths since we're from the same 904 yeah. area code. And um, right on. Mm-hmm. I look forward to definitely going back to Nashville at some point and sharing a craft beer with you guys and be uh, great. reminiscing on this time and taking a break from being so productive and just enjoying yeah. the moment. Absolutely. And so thank you so much, Matt. Where can people uh, connect with you to um, get become more productive, get all of your bullet journal tips and uh, follow your vlogs? 
Yeah, the best place is on YouTube. So just search for Matt Ragland at YouTube, and it's also youtube.com slash Matt Ragland. And then um, mattragland.com is my website. I'm actually in the process of redesigning it, but I mean, there will be a site there the entire time, and there are journal prompts and time management challenges. There are a bunch of different things that you can do to be more focused and productive. Awesome. And we'll also link to Podia too. If you guys want to create your very first online course, Matt and I recommend it. And you can bother him with uh, support tickets if you have yeah, questions. Yeah, please do. Ask for me by name. And Matt has a lot of great tutorials on the Podia website that I have consumed as well. So I spent like a good three days just reading <laughs> the how-to guides on their website before good. I started. So pro. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Matt. I will let you go and enjoy your weekend. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Badass Digital Nomads. If you want to see the full video version of this, including my gourmet coffee shop and Matt's (laughs) virtual Casey Neistat garage, then you can support my content for five bucks a month over at patreon.com slash traveling with Kristen. That might end up on Podia at some point, too. So thanks, guys. (laughs) Stay safe out there. Take care. Wash your hands. See you next week. Thanks, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Badass Digital Nomads. You can support the show by leaving a review in the Apple iTunes store or becoming a patron for as little as $5 per month at patreon.com slash traveling with Kristen. And as usual, you can get all of the links and details to everything we talked about this episode on the show notes page linked to wherever you are listening to this podcast right now or on travelingwithkristen.com and simply click on podcast at the top of the page. See you next week.